Beyond the Ranch with Jay Gannon from Find the Ranch. Welcome to Beyond the Wrench. I am your host, Jay Gannon. Our guest for today is Jeff Daniel from Maple Hill Auto Group. Jeff has a ton of fixed ops experience and is always a blast to talk to. I'm excited about today's topic because we get to dive into how we take care of technicians and make their lives better. Jeff's got some really, really good insight into that. I've had some great conversations with him about this exact topic, and and I uh, think he leads with a really good example for people to go with. So, uh, Jeff, I've enjoyed getting to know you through Dave Foy's Fixed Ops Mastermind Group and, and really love the insight that you bring. How are you today? Thanks for being on the podcast. You know, it, it's, a, it's always a good day when you wake up with a pulse. Yeah. I mean, I, when you wake up and you see the sunrise, it, it's been a good night. So, uh, you know, it, it's been a 2020 has been a very interesting and very challenging year, but also a very progressive year for things like this, things like we're doing today, promoting something that, you know, I love. I've been in it forever. Um, I've reached out and, and met new people and found new ways to do business and shared a lot of my successes with other people that have led to them going, wow, why didn't we think of that? So yes. I, I take that feedback from everybody that everybody you've had as a guest, um, from Dave's guests, and you put that into a package and present it and you learn from it. And that's my goal is to never stop learning and never stop teaching. So it, it's a it, long time coming to be uh, in this environment versus yeah. the old saying, this is how you have to do business. Business has changed, and we have to change with it. I love it. So tell us a little bit about what, what is your current role, Jeff? What, what do you do uh, at the dealership? I, I am uh, the service director of uh, the auto group here. We're a six-facility operation, all imports, with uh, uh, Subaru, Audi, Volkswagen, Volvo, Genesis, and Hyundai. Um, very, very, very busy store, diverse uh, product for one. A lot of uh, getting pulled different directions. Every manufacturer has different uh, points that they want to touch and grasp, and you get pulled a lot of directions. So it's it's always fun to take an hour like this or a half hour or whatever it's going to be and take a break and, and uh, get away from the day-to-day. But I oversee uh, a staff of more heavily female service advisors in both drives female service technicians. I have a female express team leader. I grew up with, maybe it's because I grew up with uh, six sisters and (laughs) I was outnumbered. So I had to, I had to win the battle every once in a while and, and how to use them as good allies. So it was uh, growing up in a family that came out of the business, owning a gas station and uh, then an automotive repair shop where I learned very early on if I wanted to get around, we didn't have seven or eight vehicles, we had two or three. So I make my own ways of transportation and modify bicycles and go-karts and I never wanted to be home. Again, having six sisters maybe had something to do. <laughs> so let's let's start there. How how did you get to this point in your life? What what got you into the business? And and I, I think what's cool about you is you've got an early start like I did where you, you started off at a really, really young age. How did that come about? Well, my, my stepdad, my dad passed away when I was very, uh, very young. I was three and he actually worked for Whirlpool and was on the, uh, 
uh, kind of the fast track to management there. And had he not passed away, I probably wouldn't have been in this business back then. You followed your dad and and uh, his career path. So my stepdad came from California with a uh, stock car racing background. So he and his brothers, I had a twin brother that raced out in California. Um, we bought a gas station or they bought a gas station. So I learned uh, hanging around the shop at eight, nine years old. Uh, we then expanded into an automotive repair business to build engines. And my dad was very experienced at it. My older brother got into it. I actually performed a, a valve job on my aunt's car when I was nine years old. And by that, I mean physically sitting at a valve grinding machine, grinding the valves, checking the angles, out, putting it back together, um, and the car ran when it was done. So, <laughs> And I started driving when I was 12, way before you, know, you were supposed to, bought my first car at that age. And uh, I was a big kid, so I could get away with it. I had to reach the pedals a little bit differently. but um, And it, it progressed from there. When I graduated high school, the shop classes still had automotive. I was uh, kind of an tech assistant in the class. Um, loved the hands-on experience of working in the metal class or the uh, anything to do with keeping my hands busy. Um, didn't spend a lot of time at home. Wasn't a, a necessarily a reader, although I like to read. I just wasn't, I couldn't sit still at that time. Uh, went to work right out of high school for Goodyear Tire and Rubber Company, starting at the ground level, mounting and balancing tires. And in a series of uh, moves that we discussed, kind of unique that, that happened, uh, I got a promotion to the Kalamazoo area. I went from a small town of 2,800 people to 80,000 over a span of seven years, became the second youngest store manager for the company out of 7,700 locations. So um, I, I knew what I was doing. I just, uh, I, I've been able to portray that with, with my staff that it's up to them. You know, I'll, I'll give them all I can and I'll take all they can give me and learn from it and grow from it. And I, I, I guess I'm more sponge-like. I like to be able to listen, take bits and pieces away and I'll use that somewhere down the line. Worked for them for a long period of time till they uh, were closing the location due to rent considerations. We moved. Uh, they wanted to transfer me to a, a town I wasn't comfortable moving to. We parted ways, and I've been on the car dealer side of things since then. It's, it's been very, very, very engaging coming from the aftermarket and the way they beat up on staff. And, you know, you're a you're tech for them, and that just means you have some certifications on the wall. Everybody else um, is such a low-level technician that there's no growth. There's no potential for growth because the kid that's the ATEC isn't going anywhere. He, he knows how to do the brakes. He knows how to do the exhaust systems. He's their guy. Uh, everybody else kind of grinds in and out. And back then, you used to have a application, you know, a drawer full of applications. You could pick and choose with, oh, let's let's get a hold of this guy. Let's get a hold of this guy. And that started to dry up a long time ago. I mean, the market for technicians now, I think we're we're down 400,000 just in the automotive field, plus collision techs, plus diesel techs. So 11, 12 years ago, I hooked up with our local community college. Uh, their automotive advisory board was, uh, the president there was an ex-technician of mine that had got out due to a back injury, moved up, was a teacher, professor, then headed the program up and asked me to come on board to how do we promote kids coming out of their industry not going to the meat grinder 
repair shops, but actually continuing their education. How do we take a good student and not ruin him? How do we take somebody, uh, uh, the top two or three in the class, and not send him to a place where he's going to mire and never grow, never prosper? And that's where being in a dealership or at least being in a, in a high-end facility, and by that I don't mean high-end cars, I mean somebody that takes care of their people, somebody that understands the investment that you have to make in those people to survive. Because if, if they're not there, you're not there. And, and that's, I've always been a technician-oriented boss, leader, whatever you want to call it. I was ASC certified. I could still go out and work on cars today. Uh, I don't have the body for it anymore, and I understand that. I've got some techs that are retiring you know, that, that look like hell. I mean, I, so I give my heart to them. I, I, I give them everything I can to make their jobs easier. And uh, I've since been on the Kalamazoo program uh, with the college. I've had uh, 17 people that, in the two dealerships I've worked for that have come out of their program. 16 of them still work in those facilities. Seven are on this one right now. Uh, nine in the last facility. So uh, I brought them up. I brought them in as entry level, skin your knees. I forced them to stay in school. Uh, you know, that's part of the deal. I'm not going to steal you. I want you to continue your education while I continue to train you in our brands and promote from within. And I'm huge on that. I yes. want them to learn. I want them to mentor from the 30-year veterans. And I, my 30-year vets are not the guys that uh, flip the young guys off and tell them go, you know, go to a corner. They'll bend an ear because they were there. They remember that. They remember when they didn't know what bolt to loosen first. And I make sure that everybody's compensated. And you know, we discuss some training things that uh, I'll go into in a bit. But that's where I came from. I came from a, a very giving family that uh, we had tons of family members. Everything was always broken because we had so many people in the family that relied on my stepdad. So I learned very early on that you made people happy by knowing what you were doing. And if you did, you learned how to do it. And that came from education. That came from training. That came from listening to podcasts like this and saying, damn, why didn't I, why didn't I think of that 20 years ago? So I've learned a, a ton in the past seven or eight months in Zoom meetings of ideas that I remembered from 20 years ago. It's like a light bulb goes off. And, God, you know, <laughs> well, that's, that's what's cool, cool about this stuff. Yeah, and I, I agree. And what Dave's done with the mastermind group is is really cool because it does allow, I, I mean, there's just one, there's a ton of smart people in in those meetings. And it's fun to see some of the guys that have been in the business for a really long time, that light bulb go off. And, you know, then it, it just kind of, everybody expands on something else that somebody else said, and it just keeps the ball rolling. And I, I give Dave a lot of credit for keeping that that going and, and really uh, for the quality of people that are on that 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 mastermind group because it, it is really good. And those of you that are out there in, in dealerships, uh, in the dealership world in fixed ops, I, I couldn't recommend that enough to, to go out and uh, check out what Dave's doing because there's a lot of good content, a lot of good speakers uh, and just some, some fascinating stuff to learn from. So uh, one thing that uh, that when you were talking through your background that really stuck out to me, Jeff, was your willingness to reach out and extend the olive branch, if you will, to your tech school and, and really wanting to get involved. Where does that come from? I mean, is, I think in a lot of cases, there are uh, shops that maybe get too busy and really they're, they're so focused on working 
in the business and putting out fires that they don't prioritize that relationship. What was it with you that you're like, hey, I, I need to make sure that this this is a priority relationship here? Well, when, when we went through uh, some, the first round, if you will, in 2007, 2008, when the auto industry went boom down the hill, that took a lot of people at the entry level, uh, D and C techs, if you will, uh, were either laid off, out of work, went, got out of the business completely because there wasn't work for them. So you kept all the senior techs, and I realized early on there's going to be a huge void coming up because they've uh, they've moved on. They're now working on computers. They're working on uh, heavy industry. Uh, they're UPS drivers. They're Amazon drivers. You know the growth of those companies. So you had to retrench those thoughts, and that's really where I got back into the community college and said, "What do we do? How do we go out and promote?" Uh, we hold events, we hold job fairs. I've talked to seventh and eighth graders and their parents. Um, pitching the business just is a great way to get your hands dirty. We've got a, a pit stop challenge that we built. It's nothing but a couple of uh, golf cart tires on a large display, and we run contests with two people that'll get down and change a spare tire. And we'll each hand them a half-inch little battery-operated impact we put timers on them to make it fun, to make it interesting. And, you know, dads will get down with their daughters and the daughter beats the dad. And so you have to find a new way to solicit new people because the people that were there 10, 12 years ago aren't there. Right. And we, we've reached a, a, a mass exodus in our business because uh, businesses are burning them out, not taking care of them. They don't understand that their knowledge that we've spent all this money on, all the days of training, all the tools we bought, everything that they've learned that does the business no good if they take it away with them. So you have to find a mentoring program where your outgoing tech, if, if he gives you a, a year or two notice, you have his replacement work underneath him. I've got that in, in my Volvo technician, he's 62. Um, he's getting ready to go to his last training. He's, he's got a, a class in New Jersey. Um, what I've done is added two people to replace him that are both working under his wing. They're learning as they go. They're picking up all the bits and pieces of knowledge he has. And I've compensated him accordingly. I haven't changed his pay plan at all. It's costing me a little bit of money. But I've also upped the game a little bit by he's getting on a plane come Sunday he doesn't know it, but I put him in first class. So that is so awesome. He, he's going to go to a training session for technicians and walk off like he's an executive, and, and not just first class, but he's in the first row of first class. Uh, he's left-handed, so I purposely picked the seat that I want him to sit in. And those are things that those are little details that I think a lot of companies miss. They're not yes. paying the, the the simple little things. What did it cost me overall? Absolutely nothing he's going to get off a plane and he's going to brag this place up and he's going to brag what happened. And the rest of the technicians are going, why don't I have that? And, and that's why I'm asking on this guest, why aren't dealers stepping up and doing that for not just the outgoing, but the incoming people? Why don't they have a good, uh, you know, we send our techs to training. If he's averaging 15 hours a day, that's what we're going to pay him. We're not going to penalize him to go to school. We're going to pay him accordingly. We're going to let him spend an extra night in a hotel so he doesn't have to come back at midnight and to work the next day. Um, and there are dealers around the country that, uh, Ed Roberts, you know, the culture that they have down at the Ford store is phenomenal. Yes. I mean, 
you know, he's got a standing, he's got a waiting list of people that want to work there. Um, when you develop that and you get, you get to that level of uh, engagement from your outgoing technicians, you don't have to hire anybody. They hire themselves. Yes. Standing at your doorstep going, you know, hey, when do I start? When do I start? When do I start? So um, I've helped a lot of dealers in the area solicit people through KVCC. If I need help, that's where I go to. I go to the local college and I say, who do you have? They know what I'm going to do with them. They know I'm not going to ruin them. So I do get the cream of the crop, but I've, I've earned that because I make sure to take care of the people that take care of me. You know, my driven by the technicians. I understand that. Dealers need to understand that. And when those guys go, we're in trouble. We're in trouble. Well, and having a presence with the school too, right? And you're not, one thing that I, I preach constantly is the frustration that I hear from schools with, with dealerships or just any shop really where they come to them at the end of graduation or at graduation time and say, hey, where are my techs at? Like you don't have any techs for me. And in the back of the, head, the heads of the schools, they're saying, well, where have you been at this entire time that we're, we're trying to fill the seats and we're trying to do all of this stuff. And what I love about your approach here, Jeff, is that you take it much differently than a check the box type thing, right? And that's what I, I hope we land home with a lot of people is when you go to those advisory committee meetings and you're involved with the school, be involved for the greater good of the school, not just selfishly your business, but how do you help that school out and how do you make them fill their classes up, right? And and I've I've had shops that'll say, well, I don't want to put a, a student in there because it might that student might go to my competition. And I, I to me, that's the exact wrong way of thinking, right? I think if you if you treat them well enough and and some of the intangible stuff that you talk about really hits home with me. And you and I had talked about this before, but I remember having a uh, a boss at one point that would put me on flights where I'd have to leave the house at 2.30 in the morning or three o'clock in the morning because the airport was so far away and my, I had a 5 a.m. flight or something like that. So it, it uh, those little things go a long, long way. And with you being able to describe these things, these are the intangible things that I talk about that are actual examples of what you're doing to make the lives of a technician better. How, how do you, I mean, for those fixed ops directors or service managers that are out there that want to do that, but maybe don't have the ownership buy-in that you do, how do they do that? How do they get around or how do they, is it, is it more trying to get on the same page with your dealer principal or how, how do you work around that? Well, most, most DPs and, and I'm, I'm saying most mine is a little different, but yeah. most, come from the sales side of things. They don't know the fixed op side of things. They don't understand it. They don't understand why if a car is broken, you can't fix it in two hours. Why somebody has to wait a week or a month or six months for a part. Um, so that's number one is getting them to understand the fixed end of the business and, and the critical nature of, I can only work on this many cars because that eight hour, nine hour technician is going to produce 15, 16, 18 hours for you, but he can't produce 30 on a consistent basis and not have him come back in the door on the back of a tow truck. And there's too many dealer principals that come out with all the knowledge, if you will, of the fixed stops. I wish everybody should work in every department, you know, and spend quality time. And then the fixed ops directors and service managers need to have enough uh, uh, whether it's a timeline, whether it's a action plan, 
whether it's getting in a fixed ops mastermind or some of these sessions and picking up ideas that work in their environment because there are not, not every environment is the same. I left a dealership that was huge, huge in sales business. Their salespeople met and did everything. Um, the service department was a, was a sideline. Then, oh God, you know, the car market in 08 and they weren't selling cars and they needed car service and all of a sudden, you know, the, the OEMs are saying, we need to do a multi-million dollar expansion to this place and renovate it. Who's in charge of that? That was me because I knew what had to be done to make things work and make things work efficiently. You can sell cars out of a cubicle and I'm not saying that wrong. I'm saying when you develop a store and you have a parts department that will deliver parts to a wholesale customer at 15% margin, but they won't deliver a part from their department to a technician out in the shop that's making 40%. You're taking the, the wrench out of that technician's hand. You're taking that 40% margin and taking a backseat to your wholesale customer that you're going to put a driver out there, the truck. By the time you're done, you might net 11% on the deal. So it's all encompassing. Our fixed director for parts, uh, her and I get along phenomenal. She's been here 35 years. We do a huge, huge wholesale business, but it doesn't take precedence over my retail customers. It can't. And you've got to fight for your technicians. That's number one. If, if the dealer says no, you need to go to that and, and make sure your technicians know that you have their back 100%. You may not win the battle, but if you never battle, you'll lose the war because yes. you don't go, I, why do I bother? Because I've asked for this and this. Something as simple as buying a new tool that makes their job easier. If you don't do that and get it done quickly, they're not going to, they're going to stop asking you. They're going to spend 25 years. They're going to punch in. They're going to punch out. They're going to walk away and you're going to say, Hey, where did Tony go? Three weeks ago. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that, to me, that is one thing that absolutely drives me insane is we, I think we see a lot of dealerships talk a big game uh, and talk that they, you know, they care about their technicians and they, you know, Again, this isn't just picking on dealerships. This is any shop, but the the times where we see, you know, we're lucky enough to be able to see shops of all different shapes and sizes, right? We we see the small mom and pop up to the major major national brands, and we can see it from our side, from the recruiting side, and that's not even having the true inside detail of text talking to each other, which they do. They talk amongst each other a lot. But something as simple as putting them in first class or getting that tool without giving them a hard time about it. And, and really, there's some level of skepticism that I think is rightfully so on the technician side of what does management really want out of me? And, and really, what are they, you know, why are they doing this for me? Or why are they, you know, why are they doing some of this? You hit on a key point there with when you go to battle with if it's ownership or if it's you know, other departments, if it's a sales manager and you're, you're going to battle for your techs, I think that's what gains you a ton of trust. And so that it opens up the other stuff. So it's not like, what are you doing for me? And I, to me, I, I, I can't tell you how much I love that approach, Jeff. And, and you have to be careful with that, that it doesn't become a um, ownership said no. Right. You have to do it on a common sense approach. It says, here's my action plan and make it so it doesn't fail. You have to lay it out. I mean, you're you're making a lot of money to run a facility that 
that individual that's running the store doesn't know your business and most of them don't. So you have to put it on paper in a way that says, if I spend X, you're going to get this. You're going to lose a little bit right from the get-go, but down the road, we're going to gain 3% or gain 7%. And if you can't put it on paper for them and then have them mull it around in their head a little bit, you, you, can't, you can lose that individual battle that day, but you simply go back to your technician and say, I presented the case and this is what we're working on. Did I miss anything? What else, what else could you bring? What did I not tell them? So now the technicians buy into the approach, and if it doesn't happen, or if the GM walks by and he asks Tom about it, and Tom says, oh, yeah, 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 Jeff talked about it, he thinks this, this, and this, and I think it's a good idea. And that dealer principal really loves Tom. Tom's been there forever, and Tom has never bought into anything that the old manager said. Now the new guy says, hey, we should do this guess what? It becomes the owner making that decision. And there's not an owner out there that if they make a decision, doesn't think they won the battle. Right. In reality, it's the manager that presented that task to them and the technicians that won the battle. But you, you let the DP, you let the GMs, let them think they won the battle. And that's perfectly fine. There's a, there's a pecking order. What you don't do is blame them if it fails. You didn't present a strong enough case. Or, you know, maybe financially. I mean, financially is always the reason I can't afford to do that because, okay, here's the reason why. And this is, this is the cause. This is your return on investment. This is why we have to do it. You don't want to be left behind dealer XYZ down the road, do you? Um, so you got to figure out what their hot button is, what's going to make it click and, uh, and be pretty relentless. And if you support your technicians like that, you will not find one that's going to turn around behind your back and, and go say, yeah, I'm not working anymore because I can't get anything accomplished. If I lose every battle, I guarantee that they're still going to say I went to battle. How did you keep, when, when you go into those meetings, this is something I always struggled with uh, when I was more in that director level role was of keeping emotion out of it. Right. So like I, I would talk to the techs and if, you know, there might be a time where you get beat up pretty good by the techs because they need something and they're desperate for it. Right. And trying to not carry that emotion over and speak with data when you're going into that meeting with a dealer principal or uh, a direct manager, whoever it is, any tips on how you keep emotion out of that side? Uh, where, where, when you're going to, to approach it. And I, I get that everybody's different. So it, it makes, it's a little bit of a loaded question, but. Well, but, but that's where, uh, you know, companies that do disc training or real training and you, and you, you learn your hot buttons and what's going to really light your fuse. Um, I know how direct I can be. I know how direct the owner can be. So you have to find that battleground that doesn't, Become a, a war where you're throwing stones at each other. So if you know that that person is analytical and needs all the data in the world, then pitch the data. If that person needs just, hey, give me, I, I've got five minutes and that's all I've got, you need to make a really, really, really strong case in five minutes and get out of there and realize if you did the best you could do and remain calm, again, you won that little battle. Um, calmness, um, I'm a very, very, very calm person. I've been, I've been really aggravated twice since I've been here. Both of those have been with customers and both of those were customers that I divorced. I mean, and I, and I don't do that. Yeah. 
it's uh, the emotional part is the hardest part because you've got very demanding technicians that, uh, you know, the old adage of prima donnas. No, they've earned, a, they've earned the right to ask questions. And when you start saying, because I said so, you've taken all of their knowledge and thrown it right in a garbage can and essentially said, you're not important. Get out of my office. I've got things to do. I, I've got a very strong group of technicians. They all respect me. They, I have that same level of respect for them. If we say this is what we're going to do, it's we are going to do it this way. It's not you need to do it this way because I said so. Uh, but if they come to me, I will I will fight tooth and nail if they prove it and they say they need it and I do a little bit of research. I know the hot button on how it works here, but every manager out there needs to figure out who they need on their side, whether it's another technician, whether it's the parts manager that says, yeah, it takes too long to get this done. We can't, I could sell 20 of these a day if we had this tool. Then you go to battle with two people instead of one. And you're, you're not ganging up, you're just using all the ammunition you have in the gun. And sometimes it's, it's the brains and sometimes it's the brawn. And the brawn is just the power of 10 people saying, yep, it'd make a big difference if we did that, becomes let's do it. So. Well, and you hit on a really, really key point there and something that I think a lot of managers miss on is sharing the why you're doing something or why, you know, it, it too often and from what I see is that old school mentality of we're doing it this way because I said we're doing it this way. And it I get from a manager standpoint, I've done it myself where you're just short on time and you're trying to run through your day and everything like that. And it it ends up backfiring and then it takes way more time than if you just sat down right off the bat and said, okay, here's the deal. Here's what we, here's our current problem. What's it, what's our solution and why? And, and when you bring them into that decision-making part of that, they see why they see something different. I, from my experience, anyways, they see it in a different light that, you know, you're putting them, you're, you're giving them some level of exposure to, the numbers and and the business side of it themselves that's in its own that I think they crave uh, when I say they a technician craves where they feel like if they're not getting that information that they're they're getting screwed over right or they're they're not getting tra- taken care of right so I I applaud your approach there I think that's amazing it it's, uh, it always works if you can uh, you know putting it on paper is one thing but if if the group that you work for says I, I trust your decision because I haven't screwed it up yet. Um, buying the first class seats, that was a, oh, that was a thank you I got from the owner. It wasn't, you did what? It was, oh, that was a hell of an idea. Um, and those are the things we had. We had somebody, a B-level, not even a, a C and a B-level technician's grandparents die a month ago. And they needed to, uh, they needed to attend a funeral back in New Mexico. And that's not just a, uh, a car ride. It's a long car ride from Michigan. And I was going to lose them for, you know, a long period of time, just the trip there and the trip back. And without banning an eye, um, this was on a Monday, I found out. The funeral was on Thursday. On Tuesday, I bought them plane tickets to fly back to New Mexico on Wednesday afternoon. So I had them for an extra day and a half of work. I took some of their grief out because they didn't have to worry about driving and, and putting the miles on. I paid for the tickets. I didn't bill them for them. These are guys that are, you know, obviously help $15, $16 an hour. They're not, they're not producing a ton of money for me yet, but by God, they will. 
and and they'll be long-term employees and they'll be long-term dedicated employees that they came back and they said, you know, they're thanking me from New Mexico at 1030 at night, their time, which, you know, my phone went off a little bit earlier than <laughs> in the morning. I'm like, Oh my God. But you know, it was cause I told, I said, let me know when you get there. Yeah. You know, and I wanted to make sure that their family was okay. And, you know, I hired them through a, a training program out of UTI and one brother came with the other brother. So I got a math set uh, again, tying into the school systems where, you turn over every rock you can to find them and do your darndest to uh, come up with the right plans and the right teamwork to keep the good ones together. You're going to get a few bad ones and you're going to get a few seeds, but what I don't want to do is steal from my neighbor two miles down the road. Yep. They're just going to turn around and, and call my guys up and offer them $10 more an hour. And it may or may not work. If you build the right culture, it won't. Um, but with the shortage we're having now, it's really critical that everybody figures out their individual stores and says, what do I do? How do I protect the staff I have? How do I get staff inbound and use their knowledge to train these new guys? I, uh, I, that sparks a, uh, a memory of mine. I remember a dealer principal uh, was, had one of his people going through a divorce and he basically he didn't tell anybody about it. He didn't say, you know, he didn't, it, it wasn't like he promoted it or anything like that. He just, he ended up paying for the guy's like divorce attorney, uh, which was just insane to me because I, you're talking a lot of money, but it was one of those things where he, it, 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 he had a loyal person that was, you know, loyal to him and loyal to the business and a good worker. And it just took care of it. And I, I think the stuff that you do like that, where you're putting a couple guys on a flight and not having them even be, you know, an upper level employee. That's what sets culture. Like that's the stuff that you're, you're creating some loyalty there. You're creating that, that illusion. And it's not even illusion. It's real that they're more than just a person out back, right? That they're, they're an actual person that goes through a lot of the same stuff that we do. But oftentimes I feel like from a management standpoint, it can be really easy just to forget about them. They're, they're in the back. So uh, the fact that you would do that. And even the other thing that really stuck out to me when you were talking about this is not only getting that, that first person to first class for his last training, but that he's left-handed and that he, you, you wanted to get the right seat for him. So he's comfortable. I mean, that, that's a whole, that's a whole new level of empathy and, 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 uh, and just taking care of your people that I, I don't know, I'm, I'm super, super impressed by that. I think that is so cool. It, it, uh, it's, it'll be interesting because I'm sure he'll call when he gets on the plane and you know, what, what did I do? And, uh, his wife will come in and uh, probably give me a congratulatory kiss. And I, I don't do it for that. I do it because he's earned that. He, yeah. he, He's done it for so many years. I know he's on his way out. I know this is probably the last training session he's going to go to. Um, but if he walks off the plane and says, damn, you know, I, I, I made the right choice. I've stayed 30 years for a reason. And this is why um, then, then we all win. He gets a nice, comfortable flight. I get a nice, satisfied employee that's going to brag it up with other staff and brag it up with parent company in New Jersey that, you know, you did what? And, you know, did it cost me anything? Again, no, it did not, not at all. Um, and that's, I don't think there's enough dealers that, that uh, take stock into what their C and D tech 
really brings to the table. Uh, there's a lot of lot of uh, dealers and stores that have, well, he's the lead tech. He makes all the decisions. Really? The customers make all the decisions. Second is the advisors because they're under the gun more than anybody or the writer or wherever it's at in a business. But the last person in the world that decides what work should get done first is the technician. And I'm not saying that meanly. I'm saying if you have an, a lead tech in a store and he's the team leader, I guarantee he's going to do 70, 80 hours a week. And the C-Tech's going to be sitting there at 30 and not be able to pay his bills because, again, flat rate and some other things, which I pay a lot of people hourly for that reason. A lot of the trainees are coming in hourly. We ramp up pay plans based on their production. So if they hit a certain number, their hourly rate goes up. We also pay for parts and labor upsells. If they uh, they get a car, they're doing a tire rotation, simple job, they upsell a brake job. They not only get paid to do the brake job, but they get paid 5% on a parts and labor on top of that. So, you know, what? It, it's beneficial for them to do a, a correct and a complete MPI, an inspection. Car comes back two months down the road, I'll do my darndest to get it back to that person for that reason. But even if he doesn't work on it, he's still going to get paid the upsell. Mm. He recommended the work. So that he may not actually do the work, but he's going to make another $25, $30 just because he recommended it. Uh, and that shows up on our paycheck. It's, it's what we do on purpose um, that, that's been in place and the, and the techs take advantage of it in a good way. They do it the way they should. They don't, they don't pillage. They do it proper. And I think that is that is so huge. And how often do you see, you've got exposure to other dealerships too, and, and obviously a lot of contacts throughout the industry. How often are you seeing it in a, in a dealership where there's kind of the us versus them mentality, uh, the, the back shop versus the front office? Are, are you still, are you seeing any evolution there to where we're more inclusive of technicians at the front side, or is it still kind of that, that silo effect? I, I think five years ago, it, it brought people together a little bit more. Unfortunately, I think now sales have picked up again. The business has changed again. Um, who are the first people that got laid off during COVID? Technicians, because they're hourly, you got to pay them. Salespeople could sell cars from, you know, picking up the phone. So some of them left the business. Um, we did not lay off anybody. We kept everybody in place. If somebody had a reason that they needed to be gone, kids, daycare, whatever, whatever, we're off with pay. Um, we did. We had technicians doing painting. We had technicians doing window washing um, at their hourly rate. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't uh, no stay home. Find something for you to do because again, I'm going to keep them and keep them as essential people. The Front versus back, unfortunately, is is still an ongoing battle everywhere. Yeah. The last, uh, again, the last dealership group I was at, um, they could walk through, the owner couldn't walk through and name 10 technicians out of 30 that I had. When I interviewed here several years ago, it was, that's Tom's box, that's Al's box, that's Greg's box. I mean, as we're walking through with the lights off in the shop, the owner knew everybody's box and he knew that Oh, damn, Brian got a new toolbox. So he paid enough attention to know that he had upgraded his box. Same color, but another you know, foot and a half longer box, whatever. He knew that he had done that. And when when owners take stock in the in the real part of the bread and butter of what they make 
makes their money, um, the technician will start winning a little bit more than they are right now. That's that's our job is to tear that wall down, knock it down, and that's what I like about the fixed stop side and and what Dave Foy does. We bring in people from all facets and listen to you know the sales side of things. We listen to the uh, uh, how do you win battle side of things, and and it's all to come up with a game plan so that it is a game you play. It's a game you play that a lot of lives are dependent on it and a lot of incomes dependent on it, but you've got to have a goal and the goal has to be starting at the top down. If not, you set your own goal and make sure that you never drop to a level. If it's us against them, I won't play that game. If I ever had a sales department that um, dumped on me or jumped on me or whatever, the next time they come in the door, I'm going to say yes, or I'm going to get their work done, and I'll move on. I won't, I won't stoop to that level of engagement that allows them to win. Yeah. If I do what I'm doing, I'm, I'm going to make the money. I'm, gonna, I'm okay with that. I'm going to take care of my staff, and I'll win the war. It's a battle daily, and but you know, ultimately, the, the chess pieces are probably about the same as they were. There's still a lot of walls that are being built. Um, too many, too many DPs are given the keys. Uh, dad retires. Dad says, "Here we go." The the son, daughter, whatever came out of the uh, sales side of business. They should be six months minimum working in the shop. Yes, as an advisor, working in the parts department, learning about how things tick and how things work, and why the parts truck that's two hours late, you can't get that car done by ten o'clock because. You know, it's snowing outside. It's Michigan. It happened. <laughs> so do you see a time with manufacturers maybe where they're going to prioritize fixed stops more in when they're looking for a new dealer principal uh, where, you know, I think from you're starting to see it from uh, from manufacturers in general, how important fixed stops are to uh, really the value of a dealership in their eyes, right? Because if you've got a Carvana coming and they're selling cars direct, like it, and you, your unique differentiator is that you can service the cars and you can do all of the stuff that, that maybe a Carvana can't. Do you see a, a time when we'll shift that, that perception over to maybe taking on more fixed ops directors as dealer principals or, um, or is that, are we still a long, long way away from that? No, it, 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 it's happening quicker than what we think because several of the OEMs now have a, uh, a multifaceted checklist for uh, fixed stops that you have to toe the line with certain principles and certain practices and um, tool assortment being up to date and, and organized and they're forcing dealers to buy missing tools because you know we sent them to you, what happened to them? Well, a technician left and we never replaced them. So they have stepped it up big time because their quality is, you know, uh, JD Power drives the business as much as anybody. Yeah. Um, and if it costs the dealer back end money, and so many of them are tying in, okay, well, if you hit all this criteria and your CSI is here and your fixed right first time is here, you're going to earn an extra three to six hundred dollars a car. That may be the only profit in that deal because. Costco is selling cars because Carvana is selling cars because the dealer down the road is selling them for invoice less 10. Yeah. They have to grasp that. And I just got done with a two hour meeting today with one of our brands going through 87, 87 question criteria that kicks off January 1st. It doesn't affect my end of the business at all. 
But if I don't qualify, it costs the store $600 a piece per car they sell. You sell 100 cars a month, do the math. It's <laughs> a lot of money. Uh, oh, yeah. It, it is. That's where I, 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 I hope manufacturers really start to open their eyes in that regard to to really see the talent that's on the fixed op side and really starting to try and get some of them into ownership programs or trying to get them into uh, some level of, you know, that, that to me is the future of the dealership business in general is fixed ops, right? Because as cars, and I hate to say it become commoditized, but a little bit, right? Like there's, there's uh, if you're selling on price alone with a lot of the, the car brands, which if you've got a dealership 25 miles down the road from you that sells the same thing, you're going on price. I mean, it, and it's, it, it makes a dog eat dog world where if your service is just so good and you mentioned Ed at Bozard, I mean, I, I got to experience their, their service department down in St. Augustine firsthand. And it's just, it's different level stuff. And that's what you're doing out there too. And that's, to me, that's what we need more of in the industry. So we, you know, I, I preach it constantly, but we've got to take care of our own. We've, you know, we, we all talk about recruiting more into the business and getting, you know, I own a recruiting company and I don't want to steal Robert. Or I, don't, I don't want to steal Peter to pay Paul, right? Like we, we need to create more of a, a, a solid foundation here because if we keep going the way we're going right now, it's, it's not going to good. It's not going to be a good look for the industry. Right. Right. And, and the, uh, I think the DPs realize that they, uh, uh, we're on MADA, the Michigan Automotive Dealers Association. Some of the meetings, they were always, you had this many car sales, you have this dealer did this, this dealer did that. Now all of a sudden you're seeing OLP scores, and you're seeing Google reviews, and you're seeing uh, technician movement, and who's losing technician for retirement. So they're talking about that. In the past, they never did. They weren't worried about it. We've got uh, 31 techs that are over the age of 58 in the Kalamazoo market we have probably a quarter of those ready to be replaced. By that, I mean somebody that's in-house training to do that job. Well, when those 31 people leave a Mercedes dealership or lose, leave a Jaguar dealership, you don't just pull out a drawer and get somebody from, uh, not pick on uh, Amco or a place like, you're, you're not gonna get that technician from uh, a Midas store to walk in your door and fix a Jaguar. Right. I spend $100,000 plus training an Audi technician between going to school, between uh, productivity, the schools are around the country. I'll invest well over $100,000 just to get him fully trained, not including lost wages. That's just what it costs to have him hit every button that he needs to hit. And we're required to have one. Subaru, I'm required to have two. And it, and it's going up. It's not getting any easier. They're putting more and more demands on. You're going to do business this way because over COVID's done a, a good thing to a lot of OEMs and a bad thing for us. The OEMs have had a chance to sit back and really relook at their business and say, you know what? We think that store and wherever uh, isn't doing things the right way. Let's let's formulate this game plan and see how many of these buttons they can check off as, yep, we do that, yep, we do that, yep, we do that. They didn't have time for that before. They're a manufacturer of cars. They really don't care. They want to build cars. They want to sell cars. As of today, they have not built a perfect car. We're still busy and getting busier. So I'm I'm saying they need to keep building cars and let us run the business. Yeah. 
to run the business, we've got to invest more time into what you're doing, into what Dave Foy is doing, into getting words out there. And, and you know, I've done this a long time, taking the knowledge of somebody that's done it a long time and saying, ah, he's old school. He's a, But listen to some of the stuff that the old school guys are doing. Take your technician that's done it for 30 years and say, damn, you know, you, you've done so much for me. I'm going to do this for you. Yes. And without, without asking, you know, without bragging about it, let them feel like they won. Let them feel like they're worth it. Let them feel like, you know, they really were part of your company, not just to, hey, oh, you retired. Oh, yeah, what are you doing now? Uh, I want those people to promote for me. I want them to find staff. I want them to find their replacements for me. Yes. You know, and that that's, uh, I think we're on the right path. Ed, Ed's at a different level down there. I mean, I've seen what they did with the Lincoln store and the, the restaurant, you know, we're a small dealer in Kalamazoo, but we, I do take a lot of pride in the way we take care of our people. Yeah. Uh, growth of this company has been phenomenal. We're, we're moving a location, uh, growth and, and I'm waiting for a technician to start that, uh, his company they worked for, he, he was COVID positive. So they called him at home. He was turning in his notice Monday, <laughs> called him at home to tell him, Oh, by the way, since you're uh, COVID positive, we don't pay for that anymore. Uh. And I'm like, okay, well, I don't want you to start until you're healthy, but what are you going to do now? Well, the first thing you said was, well, I'm not giving them two weeks. Yeah. As soon as say I'm walking in and getting my toolbox and walking out the door. And this is a large dealership group that this isn't a young guy. He's, he's halfway up the ASC chain of command. He's probably a VTEC in their facility. Um, and is dying to come in the door. This will be the third time he's applied in a year and a half. And finally, I've got a spot where I know I'm going to move this other location. He's going to grow to replace my technician that's going to retire in two years. So uh, will I suffer for a year or two? Yeah. Financially, a little bit, maybe. But I made my advisor's lives easier. I made my customer's lives easier. More importantly, I'm going to make my outgoing technician's lives a little easier because if he needs to take some time off, that's fine. If he needs to look over the other guy's shoulder and teach him, that's fine. And I'll walk over there and, I, and I'll do my best to stay out of their way and let them do their thing. And I'll pay both of them. And, you know, down the road again, I'll, I'll win that battle. I, I, it, it'll happen. Man, we're, uh, we're up on our hour. I, I think uh, I, I just have loved our conversation here today. This is uh, this is enlightening stuff. This is really, really good stuff. And I commend you for, taking the approach that you do uh, within the dealership, because we, we could, we could use more of that throughout the industry and, and really showing that you care and actually proving that you care by doing actual things rather than just talking about it. So thank you so much for joining the podcast here. Uh, we, we really appreciate it. Thanks for having me, sir. And uh, feel free to reach out. And uh, I, I love getting away from my office for an hour or so. And- <laughs> we'll have you so- back on. All right. (laughs) Sounds good. Thanks, Jeff.